Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The best thing about being a director at my age um, or coming to it at my age is I'd had a, a, a experience working with large groups of artists and not making them hate you. And so then when you, <laughs> when you come to set and I go, listen, I, I don't have experience doing this. This is my second movie. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Please help me not look stupid. Please help me. If, if you see me doing something inefficiently or wrong, please tell me. And so everybody felt like they could contribute and weren't going to be penalized. Apparently, some directors don't like that, which seems fucking crazy to me because I get credit for it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's yeah, like, see. you know, I, if it's a good idea, I, I, get, the, I get the credit. <laughs> everyone and welcome to episode 10 of the fourth wall i am your host griffin schiller and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors actors you name it this show is of course part of the playlist podcast network where you can find our weekly film discourse show discussing the latest releases along with the rest of our show catalog whatever your fix is we got you covered over there my guest this week is none other than director Tim Miller. Tim made his feature film directing debut with 2016's Deadpool massive hit, and believe it or not, his latest film, Terminator Dark Fate, is only his second movie. It's kind of crazy that the guy is two movies into his career and he's gotten to tackle some of the greatest and most popular names in pop culture. But before all of that, Tim co-founded Blur Studio, which is a visual effects, animation, and design company for which he's worked on various projects, including James Cameron's Avatar, which is actually how the two came to meet. And lo and behold, Tim is now directing the latest Terminator movie, so needless to say, that collaborative relationship between Cameron and Miller really blossomed into something special. And sitting down to talk with Tim, you could tell that he just has a real passion for Terminator and making good movies that people will enjoy. During our conversation, we discussed his relationship with the Terminator franchise, his working relationship with James Cameron, how he tackled Latinx representation in this film, creating a new heroine for a new generation. He opened up about the collaborative environment he likes to foster while on a film set, and then, of course, working with the heavy hitters Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. Before we jump into the interview, I do want to tease something that didn't quite make it into this particular interview, but that Tim and I talked about off-mic. Unfortunately, I just didn't happen to have the record button on and ran out of time to ask him the question during the proper interview, but I asked him about his original plans for Deadpool 2, and the answer he gave was nothing short of awesome. So if you're interested in Tim's thoughts on that and what he originally had in mind for that story, be sure to stay tuned for the end of the interview. I'm going to just do a paraphrase breakdown of it, and uh, hopefully you all enjoy it. And the last bit of housekeeping before we 
go into this conversation. The interview was conducted not only by myself, but by my friend Yolanda Machado, who was gracious enough to join me and help out a little bit with the audio, and she had some awesome questions for Tim regarding representation in the film, so I really want to thank her for coming on and posing these important questions that needed to be asked. But enough chit-chat, without further ado, let's get into this thing. Here is my conversation with director Tim Miller. Frederick, so it's oh, yeah? always cool to meet. I'm from Fort Washington, yeah, right outside of D.C. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you grow up going into this city a lot and like spending? Oh time yeah, there? and I lived there, and I lived in Baltimore for a while, and then I went to school in uh, Richmond, VCU. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and Ch- and oddly enough, uh, I went to Washington College for a year in Chestertown, which is like 700 people, and Linda did too. Well, are you so? Oh, it's crazy. God. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Linda's from Salisbury. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. I, it's just always, sure. it's always like interesting when you see people come out of that area because it's not, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but like it's, you know, th- that area just really does breed creativity, at least I've found. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of East Coast folks out here. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, Nobody's for actually from LA. Of course. I am. Right. Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah, All right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Well, something that I found fascinating was just kind of, you know, listening to you talk about the Terminator franchise, just your sort of reverence for it. Um, what, I guess, what has your relationship with the franchise been? And what is it and how has it sort of like evolved over time and to the point when now, you know, you're directing like a, a feature Terminator film? Uh, well, that's just kind of a ridiculous idea that I'm directing a Terminator movie <laughs> because my, I mean, honestly, three years ago, I'm just another fan of the franchise who likes science fiction movies and they're so, like, if if it's good, there's nothing I'd rather watch than science fiction. It's yeah. just not usually good. Um, and so the movies that are great really stand out in a way that they become these classics that you watch over and over again. Um, and Terminator was definitely one of those ones where Jim, as a filmmaker, he dots his eyes, he crosses his T's, he really pays attention to story and character in a way that um, that makes it stand out. Aliens is probably my favorite science fiction movie of all time. Maybe Blade Runner and Aliens Battle. Man, I think Aliens would win, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, when it's when it's well done, it it just becomes this this sort of touchstone for you if you're a film nerd. You know, how many times have you watched your favorite movies? Oh my God, it's yeah. on repeat all the time. Yeah, it really makes me happy when people go. You know, like you're flipping through the channels if Deadpool's on, I'll always watch it. And I I was at like Gladiator or Blade Runner or Aliens or any time. I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, it's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned the Deadpool thing. I I actually have a friend who. When Deadpool was in theaters, he went and watched it, it like almost every single day for like the first month that it was. I mean, he's he's ridiculous. He's obsessed with it. So it was just you're right. It's kind of just cool how that uh, you know films have that sort of effect on people. Um, now, when did you meet James Cameron exactly? Because I know you guys have been friends for a little bit. So this this working relationship wasn't something. I wouldn't new. say friends. I, no, I, friends. I, I would say I, I haven't gone over his house for fun, do or anything. Yeah. Um, I I met him back. I met him back on Avatar, but we worked on some stuff before that. 
but I didn't meet him personally. Um, back when we first started, uh, because we had worked on Ghost of the Abyss, then they asked us to do some shots on Avatar, and uh, and I met him then. And I was afraid to meet him because you know you hear what what a what a tough guy he can be, and and I'm like oh, I don't want to meet him because he's going to be mean and. And then I'm going to go, well, I will fuck you. Am I allowed to cuss? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. And then I would go, yeah, <laughs> fuck you. And, and, yeah, and yeah. then, you know, and then my hero worship would be destroyed. But but we didn't. We actually got along really well. And he asked me about this project I had called Rockfish. And uh, and then we started talking about books. And uh, and we almost developed a, a, a movie together uh, based on one of Joe Holliman's books called Mindbridge. And when he said it, like, hey, why don't we develop a movie together? I, I literally felt like the air was sucked out of the room. <laughs> you know, that I hear this echo of film together, together. Um, but but then it didn't happen. Um, yeah. Somebody else killed it. As I watched, I, uh, as part of the Latinx community and how we're represented, I loved how we're portrayed here. We're oh, the hero. Yeah. There's an equal part villain, but there's also special care in the way um, – like that border patrol scene, those few lines that got in, like the 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 uh, where are the prisoners? They're they're detainees, and then the glare, <laughs> and then um, the other line I caught was uh, where uh, Natalia is actually talking to a, a border patrol agent, and then she bas- she's like, "You're not safe either," and I thought that was really like it really sent a message if you caught it. So I wanted, how did this become part of the story? Um, I think not in a, you know, it's not a message film, nor would I want it to be. Uh, but you know, I'm a part of this world and the gestalt that we all live in. And I also wouldn't profess to be, uh, at all educated or wise on, on immigration issues or Latinx, uh, issues or gender issues. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's a feminist movie. And I'm like, oh, I would never pretend that I that I have the the uh, cultural acumen to be able to do that um, or the requisite anatomy um, but um, when you when you when you start out you go what can we do that's different about this movie what can we tell that feels present day um, that just seems to be the world that we're living in is a multicultural world if you want to have some new uh, places for the story to take place, why not set it in Mexico? Um, all the other movies have been set here in Los Angeles or in the U.S. And why not get a little bit more um, different landscapes and environments in it? And then also when you – you, there's a lot of reasons why this shouldn't be so. But you have to, you have to admit that um, unfairly being born in America is an advantage. Being born male is an advantage. Um, and w- – I always thought it's the most interesting to make a character have the biggest mountain to climb you can on their way to becoming a hero. So having her be a woman in a blue collar uh, uh, neighborhood in Mexico just seems like the appropriate um, normality or, or, uh, or, to, for this character to try and become the savior of humanity. Hopefully I'm not giving away any. No, 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 you're good. Yeah. No, I thought that makes perfect sense. And it was, you're right. I mean, that was one of the things that initially struck me as well. And it was just really refreshing to kind of see that, that take on it. And then if you're going to cross, if you're going to take your story North across the border, you can't just ignore 
what that means. Oh, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah, 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 for and Jim sure. and Jim has a thematic uh, in all the Terminator movies where he hates authority and and all that, um, the surveillance state, and he's a very very worried about where the society is headed. So we had to kind of address that. But I hopefully I addressed it in a way that I didn't want to vilify the people that work for the Border Patrol because, you know, they're not evil. Um, it's the situation that's evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought in a way, because uh, I was going to, because in Terminator 2, so Terminator 2 is one of my all-time favorite films of all time, period. And there is a scene where Sarah, when she needs help, when she needs to go to someone, she goes to Mexico, and her friend helps her out and gives her, like, all guns and whatever, and she feels safe there. So I was wondering if there was, that was part of the connection that, like, maybe... De- that seed was planted or like because we had originally had some scenes that involved his Enrique's son uh in a in an earlier version of that border crossing it wasn't it wasn't Danny's and you know look again I I'm I I'm not an an illegal immigrant or an immigrant of any kind and so I can't really speak to that experience but I, I I did ask a lot of questions like would it be normal for a woman living in Mexico City to have a relation or a friend that knew something about how to get them across the border? And literally everybody, because we had a lot of Latina um, people on the cast, and they said, oh, yeah, I know somebody, or, yeah, I got a cousin, or, yeah, I got a... So it didn't seem like such a a stretch to me. And I was always checking with Natalia and Diego, like, am I doing this right? Does this seem real, or does this seem like bullshit? Um, no, and even somebody wrote, you know, oh, it's so she's got a, a dog named Taco, and how that, how that's, and I'm like, I, Natalia called the dog Taco. My friend is Mexican, and her dog is named Nacho, so it's not unusual. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't name the dog. Uh, well, but I think that what's interesting about that, and and from like past uh, conversations I've I've seen you have, is you're you're very open to collaboration on set. You're oh, you're totally. taking all sorts of ideas from everyone, and it they end up in the film. And so, like, has that been something that's just always? been important for you because like going back to when you know with blur and everything as well well i i if you ca- if you came to blur you would see about 120 artists in this big building i sit out i don't have a, a i don't even have a cubicle i have a desk where where all the other artists because i really believe in this sort of exchange of ideas is going to make everything better um i call it confidence or arrogance or whatever, but I never feel like allowing other people to have a conversation in any way impedes my authority. I never felt like on set, like having somebody ask a question or have a better idea than mine in any way, like somebody was going to, you know, step out and go, oh, okay, well, you, you know, you're not the only person here with ideas, so maybe they should be in control. No, it never happened. Um, So, I, I'm and the best thing about being a director at my age, um, or coming to it at my age, is I'd had a, a, a experience working with large groups of artists and not making them hate you. And so then when you <laughs> when you come to set and I go, listen, I I don't have experience doing this. this. is my second movie. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Please help me not look stupid. Please help me if if you see me doing something inefficiently or wrong. Please tell me. And so everybody felt like they could contribute and weren't going to be penalized. Apparently, some directors don't like that, which seems fucking crazy to me because I get credit for it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's yeah. like, you know, I, if it's a good idea, I, I, get the, I get the credit for it. I don't have to 
tell you that Sally, that was Sally's idea. Um, but anyway, no, I, but I, 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 I think yeah. that is interesting though. Yeah. And well, and you've collaborated with, um, you know, other prominent filmmakers before. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, is David Fincher. And so like, I guess what are, what are lessons that maybe you learned from them that, it, that is kind of like shaped your approach to, to filmmaking? I mean, if, if you have learned any, uh, <coughs> You know, I I don't mean this in the arrogant way that it could sound, but I don't really think I've learned a lot because I've only gone and watched David. You know, the thing about being a director, it, and again, it's, it's my only second movie. I don't, I haven't been on sets a lot. I haven't seen other directors working. I went to see David shooting one day on Mindhunter, and he did it so differently than I do. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this will never. I can't, there's nothing I can take from this approach to things. Um, and I think every director has their own little thing. I, I would hate it when the, the EPs would go. We had two great EPs, um, well, three, John Kelly, um, Bonnie Curtis, and, and Julie Lynn, and, and, and Bonnie would go, well, th- you know, that's just your way of doing things, Tim. And I, what that sounds like to me is like, that's stupid, but it's your thing. <laughs> um, and that's okay. And I, I never want to hear that. I want to hear like, what's the most efficient thing? What's the yeah. best way to do this? Um, it doesn't have to be my fucking thing. There is no my thing. It's only my second movie. I haven't even had time to learn a lot of bad habits. You know? Sure, sure. Or at least I hope. No, no, for sure. So how is it? How d- directing two people, Arnold and Linda, who know these characters inside and out, how is that the process of directing that and to add a modern take to or something new to them? Um, well, I think their characters are so different that it really I don't I don't think they could fall back on the well, this is the way a Terminator does it. Well, because I would go, well, how does a Terminator that is evolved to be, you know, much closer to human do it? Because you don't fucking know. So here, I'm going to tell you. Um, and and likewise with Linda character, Linda's characters. You know, she is a very different Sarah Connor than she was in the in the first movies, although she's the same. But the truth of the matter is, is that Arnold is. It, they're both great and I am very collaborative on set. I'm just joking. But but the truth is that Linda wants to make the director happy. That's what she wants to do. And Arnold is like, I believe that you have the totality of the vision for this movie. So tell me where to stand and what to say. There's always a conversation about these things, but it's always a productive conversation. It's not a, you know, well, I don't believe this or I don't believe that. And But, you know, those relationships start uh, long before you step on set for the first day, Linda and I had a, f- a few disagreements on the f- in the first week, but w- we quickly ironed that out, and it was like a love fest. She wanted to be a little more angry. Than- <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and so, I, so she wow. wanted to go darker. Yep. Yeah, and I, you know, and I, and I, I, she got mad at me because I said, "We don't want your character character to be unlikable." Like there's there's a there's a fine line between someone that's uncomfortable to watch. Uh, and someone who just has a journey to come back to humanity. So um, we split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely, it definitely comes across. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I guess kind of switching gears a little bit because I know you're big in you know the VFX world, given your work with Blur and then like just technology in general. Um, what what are some of your like favorite emerging filmmaking technologies in in particular at the current moment? Um, <clears throat> I think the way John Favreau is doing the Mandalorian is pretty, 
promising. Um, I, I don't know how it works on, I wish I, I'd like to have a tour of that facility, but, um, and, and know the drawbacks of it, but it seems that for a lot of, uh, situations, it could be a really interesting way to shoot that saves money in VFX and actually makes everything look better. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it basically just a giant box of, of high resolution LEDs in which they project, um, the background, um, so that you're, there's no blue screen comp. You're actually shooting it all in camera. What it, and, and the angle of the camera is known by, uh, the projection system. So it's changing the angle so that it's the correct parallax for what you're shooting is the way I understand it. I'm sure it's much more complicated, but, but it also lights the characters like a real environment would. So the lighting is, you know, more favorable. Anyway, um, I think that's really cool. Um, I love all computer generated movies. I love, um, our show, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, but I love all things animation and different styles of animation and, and how we create that um, is continues to evolve from photoreal to more stylized stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's all cool. No, well, for sure. Well, and, and maybe part of this stems from the fact that I saw... Um, Oh, wrapping it. Oh, yeah. Part of this stems from the fact that I we recently saw The Irishman and like, so how, how de-aging technology has just come so far to the point where like you, you're looking at Robert De Niro and it looks like Robert De Niro from like like 30 years ago or something like that so it's like stuff like that and then also the stuff that Andy Serkis does uh, with the full you know motion capture uh, it, it's really to me it's becoming just like like new versions of makeup in a way you know right yeah and and you can do just digital makeup where you just put the dots on the face you don't bother with doing the stuff on set and you track it on later which we did a fair amount of that. Um, and I've done my share of motion capture, which honestly was kind of the mind fuck when I switched to directing. I didn't switch to when I started directing live action because in the mocap volume, which I've done tons of, you don't worry about where the camera is. It's it's theater in the round and I'm directing a performance or, you know, figuring out how to get the the right motion that will later be translated on. And and you're not worried about it. I can always go back and get a close up later. Um, so then you switch to live action filmmaking and I go, uh, you mean I got to decide where the camera is now? It becomes way more yeah, yeah, and pressure. So, yeah. yeah. And so the, the idea of coverage um, that, that works well in editorial and how to efficiently move through the day based on setups and camera position and moving lights was a daily mind fuck um, on Deadpool and, it continued to be a daily mindfuck on Terminator. I got a slightly better at it. Um, every time it's, it's a new, you know, I learn a little bit more, so I'm not, you know, so completely fucking ignorant, but the only way to like, get, it's, it's embarrassing, but you just get past it where the, the actors, usually if the actor goes, so, uh, what, what setup are we doing next? Um, I would go, uh, Ken, Lee, um, what one are we doing next? But normally a director wouldn't know that. And so I just have to go, listen, I'm an idiot. And th and then they just started asking, you know, after the third time that question is asked, they just ask Lee or ask Ken and they don't even ask me. They're like, Tim doesn't know these things, um, which is, <laughs> no, uh, which sure. is humiliating, but also, okay. I, yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of other shit I do know. Exactly. So it's it's okay. like, you know, the, yeah. the less you have to shoulder than, you know, the better, but, uh, I think yeah. we are out of time, but listen, All thank right. you so much, Tim. It was my really pleasure. Time. My so. pleasure. I'm glad, um, 
you think that we did okay on the I'm ve- I was very oh, no. worried about I'm that. I'm very very stuff. happy. That was like one of the things I walked I was at that first screening where you talked to all of us. You're like, "I love my film." <laughs> 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 I walked out and that was I'm like they gave me a Latinx heroine I can cheer on and it was represented really well and it's sad that it's so rare and I really appreciate that there was some care there. Oh good. I'm glad you like it. You can thank Natalia and Diego for that. They were my they were my gut check there. Well, there you have it, guys. That was our conversation with Tim Miller. Hopefully you had as much fun listening to that as we did talking with Tim. Now, I do want to mention, before we get into the Deadpool 2 stuff, I do want to mention that I asked Tim a question about something pivotal that happens in this film that is considered a spoiler, and so I did not run it in the proper interview, so I'm going to be running it separately outside of this full episode, maybe as like a bonus episode or as a write-up or something, but there There is a very bold choice that happens in Terminator Dark Fate that I wanted to get Tim's take on, and his answer was awesome. So you can have that to look forward to uh, following the release of Terminator Dark Fate. Okay, let's get into the Deadpool 2 stuff real quick. This is paraphrasing a little bit because I don't have an exact quote, but Tim mentioned that the relationship with the kid in Deadpool 2 was always there. It was there from the beginning. It was the heart of the story as it comes across in in the final film. But something else that he mentioned was that he wanted a cable that was originally six foot seven inches. Um, and my personal favorite bit, he got permission to use the thing and was going to have the thing throw down with juggernauts in the film's climax. And just hearing the fact that the thing could have been in Deadpool 2 really excited me. That was beyond awesome. But then something else I found really interesting was how he was the one who really fought for Vanessa's storyline to be bolstered into something more important than I think what we got in the final film. He said he really fought to have Vanessa's copycat storyline make it into the final film and said that he was going to explore the love story between Deadpool and copycat. I could tell right away that he was very excited about this idea because he said, that it took him a long time, but he felt that he finally cracked the secret to Vanessa's storyline. And even in the final moments, while he was leaving, he went to uh, the heads at Fox and really pleaded with them to leave that Vanessa storyline in there. So needless to say, Tim's vision for Deadpool 2 would have been very exciting and I have to admit I'm a little disappointed that we never got to see it because it seems like he was on the right track to something special. I want to give another thank you to Tim for being a great interview and let you all know that Terminator Dark Fate opens this Friday November 1st. It's the proper sequel to Terminator Judgment Day so you can discard all those other ridiculous sequels and convoluted timelines and all that sort and if you want to hear the playlist's thoughts on the film, you can check out the review on the website. I also want to give another thank you to my good friend Yolanda for joining me on this episode. It was great to have this conversation. Once again, I thought the questions that she posed were excellent. So if you're interested in checking out any of Yolanda's work or following her, you can do so on Twitter at Sassy Mama in LA. But the most important thing is I want to hear from you all. I want to hear your thoughts on Terminator Dark Fate if you've seen it down 
in the comments section of wherever you're listening to this episode. And if you want to go that extra mile and you feel so inclined, why don't you take a second and subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of The Fourth Wall, along with the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog. Whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered over there. And if you want to go even further, you want to take that little extra step and you want to make our day, we'd love it if you drop us a rating and or a review as it greatly helps the show out. It helps us get noticed and lets me know what you all are loving and what you think we can improve upon. My next guest is actually the one that I teased prior to Tim Miller before I got that interview situated, but my next guest is none other than Edward Norton. We're going to be talking about his new film, Motherless Brooklyn, and we really get into a whole lot of noir stuff here, so it was a it was a fun conversation that you can look forward to actually later on in the week, so definitely be sure to stay tuned for that one, but until then, if you like me specifically and you like what I have to say, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Griff Schiller. All right, I'll catch you next time for Ed Norton. Take care.